Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. And good morning, good day. You can be happy, joyous, and free. We're learning more and more that our gut biome determines our serotonin levels, and the serotonin levels determine how happy we are. So, so many people are suffering from depression. Try making your gut biome a little happier, very simply. Get rid of the dead animals. Stop making your body a graveyard and see if your gut biome does not improve radically. Um, So many people are suffering. They're suffering from sadness, depression. There's nothing wrong with being sad when it's appropriate, but if you're just sad, okay, something is wrong. And what is wrong is that, um, Internally, your body is telling you, hey, there's something you're doing that is just not correct. It's your your subconscious, your reptilian brain is telling you that you're feeling guilty. Get rid of the carcasses and you will see how much more exciting and happy you will be. Promise me. Try it. All right, we are live with an incredible guest from across the pond in jolly old England, Robbie Lockie, one of my favorite people. Robbie, you and an incredible group of millennials has started something called VAAO. When I started getting it, and guess what? We've got them joining us. I'm so excited. Dominic Thompson, IE Bako. Thank you for joining us, Dominic. Thank you for joining us, IE. Um, what is V-A-A-O. I started getting it in my inbox and I was like, what is this? What, what's happening? It was exciting, but I didn't know, Robbie. I think, uh, yeah, he's just uh, joining us, connecting uh, yes, audio and video. Uh, what's up, Dom? Nice to see you, my friends. Hey, um, Robbie. Hey, Jane. Uh, hey, just, Dom. I'll just give us a little elevator pitch. So, you know, me and my friends, we, we, were, we were brought together by a twist of fate and decided that, you know, it was about time that people from across the vegan community come to, came together to talk about the interconnected nature of oppression and, and how important and vital it was to have all of these conversations. And, and that's where VAR was born. It was actually born out of a campaign that we were all working on together. Um, and it kind of gave us an opportunity to really think about how we could further the conversation in a number of issues. And I'll, I'll let EA continue, because I know, EA, you, you, you're, you have a lot of the, the kind of issues and discussions that go on on your social media on a daily basis. And what are some of the other things that we, that we touch on outside of veganism? Yes, yeah, so I think it's so important that the vegan community, um, you know, 
dissect this movement from not only an animal rights perspective, but bring into the movement the, the ideology that none of us are free until all of us are free. So the other issues that I think it's important to talk about are, you know, sexism, racism, um, you know, homophobia, the list can really go on and on, ableism. I find that these interconnected forms of oppression, they all tie really well into animal rights activism because you know, the way that oppression works is it doesn't work in a vacuum. You know, no one is oppressed for just one reason and one reason alone. These issues kind of layer on each other and like they form kind of like an intertangled web. And so the reason why we thought it's important to bring these issues to light is because there's people coming into the vegan movement with all sorts of different backgrounds. There's queer people coming into the movement. There's black and brown people coming into the movement. There's people who, you know, are disabled coming into the movement. And we thought it's so important to highlight their voices and highlight their struggles. And that was like the foundation of Building Bell. Wow, so well said. Um, Dom Thompson, you are on the forefront of connecting people through social media you represent a wide variety of passions and causes. Where do you see VAAO taking us and how will it take us there? I think our, you already see what's happening. We're really truly redefining what veganism is in this sense because we're speaking on all forms of impression. We are also inclusive and we are very uh, empathetic and uh, attentive to what's happening uh, not only with animal rights, but also a lot of human rights. Uh, I think that's what's incredible, inc so incredibly inspiring and powerful about our group, because not only do we all have different backgrounds, but our uh, followers and members and people that's a part of this group just come from some incredible um, areas in life that we all, uh, I think, can learn from and aspire to be uh, better at what we're doing and to really... Uh, showcase and highlight more stories that typically get passed over and get suppressed uh, because certain people don't look a certain way, they don't identify with a certain gender um, and more. So I really love everything about Val and what we're doing and what we're getting ready to become. It's happening and we're, we're happy, happy to be a part of it. I'm excited. We got a caller, Christina, your question or thought for the VAAO team. Christina. Hi, can you hear me? <laughs> yes. Okay, great. You know, I, I, I apologize. I just called in and I just heard the last two speakers. So um, I guess my comment or question would just be based on the last two um, speakers. But um, yes, I'm thrilled to see that uh, vegans and uh, animal rights folks and people basically with so much compassion and empathy and uh, who, who are seeing all other issues it's as important. So that, that's great. I'm really happy to see this movement. I want to be part of it. Um, I, I guess it's overall my more of a, a comment, and I guess it could be a question, is that, you know, I, the common thread of an issue I see that crosses all, all these important matters um, is just for people to learn the basic ways of communicating, how to accept a different point of view and how to civilly, patiently, intelligently, compassionately accept that and respond to it. And I feel like if we all learn that skill better, we can address all these issues so much more effectively. 
instead of constantly uh, on the defensive and on the or on the attack. Um, I, I guess it's it's a comment or the question would be how how do you see us getting to that point where we can really hone in on the skill and practice it on a minute by minute basis or you know. Yeah, that's an incredible question. I want to thank you uh, for raising that. You were nodding your head, Robbie. Let's face it. These are highly charged emotional issues. I am often infuriated um, every time I open whatever, the New York Times, Yahoo News, and I see uh, just this morning uh, the candidate for mayor of New York, not Eric Adams, but the other one is eating a hot dog. You know, dang. And I wrote, I wrote a note. I said, this is, this is what we're pushing when you're trying to be the mayor of the most prominent city in the world. Uh, somebody eating a hot dog when processed meat is officially carcinogenic. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they accepted my, my comment. A lot of times they don't. Uh, but uh, it's very hard to remain oh so very calm and polite in the face of a horrifically self-destructive and cruel behavior. So how are we going to have a uh, refined dialogue with all these highly charged issues. We're talking about um, animal rights issues, climate change issues, racial issues, gender issues, uh, sexual orientation issues. That's a, that's quite a cauldron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd love to jump in and just say something very simple. And thank you so much for your question, Christina. There is a wonderful new platform called, not new, but it's been around a while, but it's, it's uh, kind of, it's hitting the mainstream. It's called Clubhouse. Um, unfortunately, not everyone has access to it yet. It's only iPhone users. But what Clubhouse is starting to do, it's mixing people together because actually what social media has done, it's created um, bubbles of, con- of, of social bubbles where people focus on the same content and the same ideas and the same conversations. And I feel like places like Clubhouse have allowed people from different backgrounds to sort of like intermingle and have, you know, discussion. And of course, when you have an audience and you have a bit of structure there, sometimes it's a lot, not, it's a lot easier to be, well, it's not a lot easier, but it, you'll find that people are a little more cordial to each other uh, without slagging each other off or shouting each, at each other. Though I have heard some people speak to each other quite aggressively on Clubhouse. But that being said, I think new technologies that are going to, like this, that are going to help people meet and connect with diff- with people of different backgrounds, whether it's different political backgrounds or different uh, ideas about life or culture or gender or sexuality or whatever, I think that's where the change is going to happen, where people can actually mix and intermingle. And that's what, you know, as Dominic said, VOW is about bringing people from diverse backgrounds together over these shared discussions, whether it's veganism, animal rights, whether it's human rights, racism, sexism, transphobia, as, as EA mentioned. So I think it's important for us to be able to bring people together and create a framework and, and create a space where we say, okay, this is a safe space to discuss these issues. And this is the framework. And of course, if you're going to be abusive or aggressive, then we will remove you from the conversation. But we welcome people of all different backgrounds and all different ideas and ideologies to discuss and and, and have meaningful dialogue. Because I think that's the only way things are ever going to change if we have is if we have meaningful dialogue. Uh, I love this. Let me ask a provocative question. Uh, I.e., maybe you want to take it. It seems that there's always a hierarchy of injustice and that a lot of people say, you can't talk about this because this is more important and this has to happen first. We've seen that throughout the course of history. I mean, the suffragette movement was always relegated, not your turn, not your turn. How do we make sure that 
um, I always say it's not mutually exclusive. When people say to me, why aren't you worried about people? I say, hey, I am worried about people. I'm trying to stop human world hunger, which we could eliminate if we all went vegan, trying to stop climate change, which is uh, in large part caused by the animal agriculture industry that's going to destroy the lives of billions of humans, if not all of them, if it makes the earth uninhabitable. Um, but they still push that point. And what I always say is beyond the fact that obviously fighting for veganism helps humans, it's not mutually exclusive. Do, when people go off and they go to a movie, do you say, why aren't you fighting for a cause? Why are you going to a movie? When people jump in a swimming pool and go swimming or go ice skating or do whatever they do or have, or have dinner, do people stop them and say, why are you doing this uh, fun little uh, pleasurable um, activity? Why aren't you fighting for the cause? There seems to be this attempt to shame people who are working on animal rights activism that somehow we should be doing something else. And I think it's a defense mechanism because people don't want to have to look at this. What are your theories when you get hit with that? Like, and I've been hit with it from feminists. I've been hit with it from everybody. Oh, I oh, it's so it's, it's a condescension um, that they express about people who work on animal rights. you take it away. I EA, thank you so much, Jane. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. You'll get it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've encountered the same thing you're talking about, too, because I've been to protests. I've been to marches. I've had conversations with friends and family members and people on the street. And you get this because it is a defense mechanism. We live in a society that is 98% non-vegan. So um, eating other animals and, and, and using them for their their, their skin, for their hair, for entertainment is considered the norm. And we're considered the exception to the rule. And, at, you know, when that comes into play, people are thinking, we're the weird ones. Like, why aren't you doing normal forms of activism? Like, you know, doing activism for, for human rights. There's so many human issues going on. But at the same time, I think that it's important just to remind people that all of these forms of oppression, they're intermingled. They work together and just like you said, working on animal rights is good for, you know, human health issues. It's good for world hunger. It's good for climate change. It's good for a variety of different things. And I think that animal rights perspective, bringing that up is a talking point that can lead into many conversations. I know for me personally, it was when I got into animal rights that I started caring more, more about human rights issues. It didn't go the, the other way around. Like I've always cared about human rights issues, but it opened up a deeper level of compassion that I never knew was there before when I cared about, you know, all sentient beings. And I think that there, that can be there for people if they start to explore why we're so passionate about this and listen to our cause. And that's why we created VOW, because when people see that we're bringing up these interrelated topics, they're going to see that animal rights activists don't just care for, you know, non-human animals. We care for human beings, too, but we wanted to bring that um, circle of compassion to the forefront, because I think it's missing from a lot of people's understanding of veganism, that they don't see animal rights activists involved in any other spaces, but we are, you know, you know, scientific studies have proven that people who are vegan, you know, do have a higher level of empathy and compassion and that we care about human issues so much. We are on the forefront of these issues. You know, there's many uh, civil rights activists, you know, I can name um, Angela Davis as one and Dick Gregory, who passed away as another, who are anti-oppression uh, civil rights activists who cared about 
all of these issues. And I think throughout history, there's been people who have been activists for human rights who also crossed over to animals. I think it's just a question of people don't know this information, but if we could just start talking about it and having this conversation like we're doing today, I think people are going to get it. I love it. And I want to understand how you can get involved with VAAO because, Robbie, you obviously founder of a co-founder with Klaus Mitchell of Plant Based News um, sent me an email and said, join this. And I did. And then I started getting emails, but I really wasn't exactly sure what was going on. It was good. It was intriguing. Tell us, if you would, how it works, how people can get involved. Val is a online media platform that allows people to communicate and connect with each other. So just like any other social network, but away from algorithms and the spying eyes of the likes of Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> so, you know, people can create events and they can connect with friends and they can have chats and, and they can share their videos and their content. They can make it private, they can make it public, um, and it's really what we make of it. So we're trying to bring people to the table. You know, there's the four of us, um, our co-founder, Elle, she is not with us at the moment, but, you know, together we're kind of trying to build uh, a movement of people who want to talk to the topics and discussions that uh, EA and Dom mentioned earlier. Wow. Okay, we're going to take a short break on Voice America Radio, but we're going to stay live on Facebook. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencer channel the voice america talk radio network is on instagram make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows live events and around the network we want to see what you have to share as well check us out on instagram at voice america talk radio we don't follow we lead join us the voice america influencers channel You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right. We are talking about VAO. Now I know how to pronounce it. V-A-A-O. And um, it's this new platform founded by the folks here along with Ellen Flores, who is flying right now. She's a flight attendant and she is uh, earning her living. Uh, and uh, uh, 
this attempts to connect, tell me if I'm mischaracterizing it, but Dom, it attempts to connect a lot of social justice movements and be a global connector of people around the world. Robbie is in London. You guys, I, I believe, are in the United States. I'm in Los Angeles. Um, we need to be a global community. I've said this for a long time, the veganomy. So this is something where in the intro to this video, you can go uh, to the website and you can sign up. And then how, do, how does the communication occur, Adam? The, the communication is on a lot of platforms, like Robbie mentioned. You can, you can tune in and dial into what we do on Clubhouse. Every Saturday, we have a very uh, deep dive into um, challenging topics. And we either bring on guest speakers or we talk amongst ourselves, amongst our community of followers for Val and our individual platforms about these important topics that have an impact not only on animals, but on certain humans in certain communities, uh, and, and we're very passionate about what's happening across the world um, for uh, with respect to human rights and more. You can also connect with us on Instagram and connect with us uh, within the uh, the uh, Mighty Works app specifically. Just click on the website link onto the uh, Val, and it'll take you there. The platform is really dope, and like I mentioned before, specifically amongst the co-founders, Robbie is in uh, London. EA's in Ohio. I'm here in Georgia. Uh, L is in New York. We're across the whole entire map. Uh, but what's pretty cool about us as co-founders, we all have very, very different backgrounds. Um, and we even amongst ourselves have very deep dive discussions about things that we may not see eye to eye. And we are constantly continuing to put in the work and also to um, educate not only ourselves, but um, our audiences about uh, human rights and, and animal rights. So that's what I really love about it. Specifically, I want to point to EA. EA comes from a different uh, generation of uh, activists, specifically vegan activists versus my generation uh, of, of people that was uh, fighting for animal and Robbie's as well and, and L. But EA, uh, what I like, what she brings to the table uh, and what I adore so much about her, she educates on multiple levels and educate based on a new wave of education that I think a lot of us can learn from specifically because a lot of a lot of the old heads are people that's been doing this 20, 50 plus years with respect to fighting for it. any form of activism sometimes get stuck in our ways and we don't want to try new things. Uh, but EA um, and not to continue to uh, uh, point on her, uh, pick on her, but it's, it's a good for good reasoning. She's a very good educator. Uh, and that just shows you how different and diverse we are and how open-minded us uh, that are a little bit more seniors can learn from new educators, from everything that they're talking about, from uh, what's happening in multiple communities. You mentioned LGBTQ, also Black Lives, uh, and more, because I think we all forget that humans are animals too. And it's also important to be very empathetic and uh, attentive to what's happening, not only to animals, but what's happening to you, Jane, what's happening to Robbie, EAL, and close to the 8 billion people walk in this world. We all have some problems and challenges, and we need to be more open to that and help each other out. Well, I often say I'm wearing a pair of glasses, a vegan pair of glasses. I see the world through the vegan 
uh, lens. And to me, almost every single problem, every single problem boils down to people eating animals. If you talk about health, you talk about we've got uh, John Lewis coming up, the badass vegan with they're trying to kill us, connecting racism and food. You talk about the pandemic, obviously the biggest crisis the world's facing right now in many ways, um, zoonotic illness that jump from animals to humans. You talk about um, uh, it, climate change. Uh, there's a new white paper that says animal agriculture is responsible for 87% of greenhouse gas emissions. But whatever figure you want to use, it's a leading cause. You talk about um, whatever you want to talk about. It, it boils down to the fact that we're 7.9 billion humans killing 80 billion animals every year. And it's killing us. We've got some callers. Uh, let's go to Kimberly. Your question or thought, Kimberly. Hi, thank you. you. What you guys are doing are awesome. I love it. Thank you so much. I have a little bit of good news. I was at last night, I was at the Vegan for Black Lives Matter meeting here in Los Angeles. And um, the, the founder or the main organizer there, Melina Abdullah, she had been basically pescatarian. And a couple of days ago, she watched the, the movie Sea Spiracy. And she said, that's it. No longer, she's no longer pescatarian. That's it. She's, you know, basically going to go vegan. And um, Gwen Hunter and I, through Vegan Outreach, had been supplying them with hot vegan meals and big grocery bags of wonderful vegan stuff. And, you know, we're just trying to encourage people that way by providing food vegan options. And, and you know, Dominique mentioned the, the humans. You know, we're trying to reach the humans that way. And I'm wondering, you know, do, do you know of any other organization or how can we just provide wonderful options and show, tell people about it that way? Kim, this is such an important issue. Um, and Gwenna Hunter, who started uh, Vegans for Black Lives Matter, who allowed us to cross post this video live on uh, Vegans of LA, which she also runs, has been such a leader in connecting uh, people who are fighting for Black Lives Matter with healthy uh, plant-based foods and also explaining that a lot of the companies that provide fast food and contribute to food deserts are actually monetarily supporting the forces that are oppressing them. So that it is truly the most self-destructive thing for anybody who's involved with Black Lives Matter to, to engage in eating fast food. Just like it's crazy for people to go to a climate change desper, uh, demonstration and then go eat fast food. Would you like to uh, address that, EA? Yeah, okay. so I'll say my, my wonderful um, you know, partner in crime with Val L, she's highly engaged with Black Lives Matter of Greater New York. And that's one of the initiatives that they've been working working on is to bring plant-based options to distribute them to the community. They distributed, you know, hundreds of meals at the start of the pandemic in New York as a result of the fact that people are going hungry because they're losing their jobs and their security um, due to this pandemic. And I think that that is a model that we should all be following as animal rights activists is to engage authentically with other social justice movements and then provide them plant-based meal alternatives at the actions and the events that we go to. I think that when you're providing a service for people, they're more likely to listen to you when you're trying to bring up a different agenda because initially people don't see the interconnection. But when you're saying, 
you know, I'm friends with you from being in feminist marches. Let's go out to this vegan or plant-based restaurant together. They're going to be like, wow, this food is delicious. Why am I not eating this all the time? And then you can explain to them, well, you know that with the animal agriculture industry, we're actually exploiting the female reproductive system and also male reproductive system of many other animals. So if you're living a vegan lifestyle, you're actually living in total alignment with the, the justice and mission that you have for liberation for human beings. So I think it's just about you know, being open to working with these other movements, introducing them to plant-based options, and then explaining to them the interconnection. And I think that we have to do it in such a way that when we're communicating, it's in a non-aggressive fashion, and it's not trying to detract from the main movement that they're trying to focus on. I think that there are um, opportunities when it becomes relevant like when Elle found out that they were providing non-plant-based options to the community, she was like, well, I have contacts that we can get plant-based meals. And then that connection really just worked out. And I think that that's an, a model that we can follow. I think that's a really important point. Um, and this, you know, is across the board. It's Black Lives Matter. It, it's also the climate movement. I've, I'll say, not responded with grace when I go to a climate movement and nobody will mention animal agriculture. I was even shouted down once, mm -hmm. you be quiet. Um, but I'm trying to learn from you guys to respond in a gracious way and offer alternatives. So Robbie, you're in London, obviously uh, Extinction Rebellion and all these incredible groups fighting climate change. Well, we, that's one connection we've got to make Obviously, Greta Thunberg is vegan, but how is that going? How are we doing on the connecting animal agriculture and climate change? It's a really good question. It really depends on where you are and who you are. Um, and, you know, as we are highlighting in our work with Val, not everyone has the luxury of switching to a plant-based diet that easily. You know, when we talk about the new documentary Sea Spiracy, for example, um, you know, there are a lot of people who might assume that um, it's just super easy for the whole world to go vegan tomorrow and that everyone should just can, can and should just cut fish out of their diet. But there are millions of people who, who rely on a diet of fish and, uh, you know, kind of carbs like kind of pro um, potatoes and rice and things like that. So it isn't, isn't as simple as some people may suggest. And I think this is something we always have to be mindful of when we are having conversations with people, depending on who, who they are. Now, as far as how is it's going, you know, again, in the UK, we're always kind of breaking records. Veganuary is, is seeing huge success here in the UK. All our supermarkets have entire vegan aisles, but we're a small country or a tiny island in comparison to, to the rest of the world. Obviously, you've got a huge population of 66 million on a tiny little island. But, you know, it really depends on the media, I think, as well. That plays a huge role in educating people. The U.S. is so diverse. And I think you've got so many different like radio shows and TV shows and channels and magazines. And there's, and there's all the corporations fighting for people's dollar. And the corporations are so powerful in the United States that it makes it really, really hard for people to be able to get the right message, you know, because ultimately, you know, there is that competing kind of message, which is all about money. 
Um, so I think it depends on where you are in the world. As far as the UK is, goes, we're doing really well. I know that things are changing rapidly in the US with more and more people adopting a plant-based diet, but the fight is not over. I think we have a very long way to go until we can convince people uh, to switch to plant-based diets. But also we need to be providing options. You know, Industry needs to, to change. And a lot of the influential people in the food industry, uh, like Tyson Foods, for example, one of the biggest in the world, they know that the writing is on the world. They know that people need to be making shifts towards plant-based proteins. Um, I'm, I personally wouldn't eat it, but I'm really hoping that cellular agriculture, uh, cell-based meat uh, does take off. It'll be cheaper. It's more environmentally friendly. Personally, I won't eat it as a vegan, but I know that if we can really get this type of technology off the ground as soon as possible, it will wipe animal agriculture off the face of the earth. And that includes anyone's desire to consume fish as well. We can provide fish to millions of people at a fraction of the cost, at a fraction of the environmental um, uh kind of footprint um, and you know a lot of people are nervous about it because it's a new technology and are worried about how it's going to be produced and what it will what kind of ingredients it will have whether it's vegan or not um, but there are the, a lot of the people who are driving the cellular agriculture industry are vegan themselves they're plant-based people they're environmentally focused people who really want to see an end to animal agriculture so I'm I'm hopeful I agree I wouldn't eat it myself I have no desire to eat anything that's meat but Whatever, to quote Gene Bauer of Farm Sanctuary, whatever reduces the most suffering. Who pays the price for purity? The animals are being tortured, their tails are being cut off, and uh, they're being dehorned and hung upside down by their legs. I mean, uh, we have to realize what is happening, the, the horror on a daily basis, and whatever we can do to reduce that, I'm all for. Um, Paige. You have a question, your question or thought, Paige Parsons-Roach. Yes. Thank you, everybody who is on this show right now. I just so appreciate bringing vegans against all oppression forward. Here's my question. We are now at Staying Unchained in Clubhouse and doing Clubhousing. It would be really amazing to do a collaboration with VAAO in the plant-based wellness uh, food and wellness club that we've been invited to do once a week. Here's my question for you all. Okay, so being a member of VAAO, how can myself who curates various, you know, talks and things and brings people together, what can I do in there? What do you suggest? What? How do I step forward and bring about, you yeah, know, that, maybe a panel? Or So basically a- I'm wondering how can people who are members um, jump in. I'm a little bit shy on this. Uh, you know, so this needed a little bit of uh, kind of hold hand, hand holding and brought in to say, here, go for it. Do this, do that. Um, According hey, in that direction, I, I, if you don't I, I, mind. Yeah. You're, you're asking an excellent question. How do you use VAL? Well, we use VAL. Uh, let, let me just start. Thank Sorry you. to interrupt. But th- that's a good question. But I cannot stress enough that VAL is inclusive. No matter what level of veganism you are, if you're not vegan or not, what makes VAL so special, even as a contributed writer, we allow people to write these articles and these uh, thoughts of theirs on our platform. And also we allow them to have a conversation, a deep dive conversation, a very intimate conversation, even when we're doing our clubhouses. So it's not like you need to be a specific member or have some specific vegan card. Uh, Val is inclusive for everyone. Uh, and I'm going to let uh, EA and Robbie uh, 
give their input to that as well. Yeah. All right, Rob. I, I can jump in. So, as Dominic, just to follow in from what Dom said, um, you know, excellent uh, a question there, Paige. For our, from us, from our perspective, it's to not overthink it. For us, it's about having those difficult conversations. Ask those difficult questions. We've got almost, I think, we're over four hundred people in the community now and growing every day. The point is to have those difficult conversations. I've learned so much in the year that I've known my three friends uh, about so many different subjects and topics. Um, yeah, I've learned to become a better community. It's as we said, it's all about learning to communicate with other people who disagree with us on different topics and also agree with us on other topics and have open hearted and and compassionate conversations um, and just share share. That's it. That's the focus of the platform. All right. We got Patty on hold. Patty, your question or thought. Hi, Jane. It's it's just a thought. Um, I think it would be super powerful or to connect the human rights and animal rights movement by telling our human stories of oppression and the similarities of the abuse animals endure. And hopefully this can be used as a platform. Um, there's so many, I mean, everything we face as human beings is so connected to the animal rights movement. For instance, uh, there's a founder of a, well, there's of a sanctuary that has outreach programs uh, where she has abused children visit her sanctuary and there was a time when um, an incorrigible child that faced horrific abuse, and, and no one could just, like, break through to him. But after meeting an animal that, was, that faced similar abuse that he faced from his um, alcoholic father, did he make the connection? And in reading, it was in a book, it, it, just, it just makes you cry. It touches your soul. And I think we have to touch the souls of human beings because so much of what we face is definitely connected to the animals. And I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm a child sexual survivor, and it's so connected. For me, I believe that's why I'm so connected to the animal rights movement. They have no voice but our voice, just like a child, the children that face horrific abuse. Even, I don't know if you've got, guys have watched the Gabriel Fernandez story on Netflix, child abuse to me is connected to animal rights and I know there's so many different um, there's so many people out there that have faced abuse similar to animals and that's all sorry I break down but it's just so important for me to share this information thank you for sharing thank you for for, uh, your transparency and your vulnerability and we really appreciate that Um, boy um, I think we can blow through this next break because so many people are responding to this. Uh, I want to get back to that in a second, but Donnie has a question. Donnie, your question or thought? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at, you know, this is an ethnically diverse panel, a geographically diverse panel. And so I'd be curious to get your uh, thoughts on, in your experience, and I know there's no one size fits all to vegan outreach, but what we all, I think all of us wrestle with is how do we break through to people? And do you all have any advice? Is there anything that's worked better for you than, you know, than something else, perhaps? Donnie, I think the important question is, well, one thing to realize, you're not going to always connect to everyone. Meaning, I might can go talk to someone in a certain group, in a certain community, an area that they just will not identify with, identify with you. And same goes for you. There are probably communities that identify with you that would not be, uh, open-minded to listening to me. Uh, I think that's what's important for us as a 
a group here at Vow, as well as a community in general in the vegan community, understand our weaknesses and our strengths and identify that, hey, I may wear a certain cape, you may wear a certain cape, Jane, EA, and Robbie wear certain capes, and it's okay to let them speak to their groups and uh, different people. Um, and we, once we learn to realize that and remove our egos and understand that we're not going to always be as effective with debating and also discussing and even trying to negotiate or even surrender uh, certain animals and even try to convince people to change different lifestyles, the better we are as a community to understand that people are just are not going to make that connection with you. And it's not a loss. It's just that that's just the way the human spirit works. And, and, and with that being said, just keep that in mind that you're not going to win everyone. But if you can change one life at a time or just to have one influence at a time, you're doing something special and very remarkable. Uh, good point. Uh, I have a provocative question to ask because somebody raised connecting animal suffering to human suffering. But there are huge controversies about that because we've so demonized animals that if you compare human suffering to animal suffering, um, many people will attack and feel offended. Um, I once gave a talk where I compared uh, uh, what happens to animals on factory farms to um, it is rape. The, the industry term is rape rack. And I was very much attacked and I was told that I was being extraordinarily disrespectful. And for me, um, I just didn't get it because I don't feel that animals are beneath us. And to make any reference that compares what happens to animals to happens to humans is denigrating. But I have since seen that there are so many issues where if you mention a comparison between what's happening to animals and what's happening to humans, you get a lot of blowback from people who uh, uh, really feel extraordinarily offended. Uh, Robbie Lockie, would you like to tackle that tough nut? <laughs> tough nut. That's a, certainly a tough nut. And we've discussed this stuff in the VAL team uh, a lot over the last few years. Um, it really depends on, it's, many things are at play here. It depends on who's doing the comparison, how they're doing that comparison, and where they're doing that comparison. Because, you know, having the conversation about comparing different forms of oppression isn't as simple as just sort of stating it or popping it in a meme. You know, EA and I have talked a lot about like meme culture, about how, you know, the, the social media world has created this tendency for people to oversimplify complex issues that, you know, take the Holocaust and let's take animal, the animal suffering to, to do with what's happening with animals on factory farms. People love to sort of compare them and put them together. Now, of course, the, the, the tactics are very similar. Hitler used to, Hitler used the uh, factory farming as inspiration for what he did to the Jews and the way the Jewish people were treated. Yeah, see, but, that, uh, let me just say right there, I want to avoid that conversation because people get extraordinarily offended. No, no, of course, but so often... I'll finish my point that it's like it's about saying that at all and creating those comparisons. That's when it becomes problematic. You actually don't need to. What's going on to animals is so horrific and so terrible that you don't need to compare them. The point is you don't need to put them next to each other. You show people what's happening to animals. You show them the videos. You show them the pictures. You show them the documentaries. There is no need to try to invoke the suffering of other human beings in an attempt to try to show people that animals matter. 
that you can show people, you can trigger emotion, you can trigger compassion in human beings by just showing them animals and how they are suffering. You don't need to compare it. So if you want to talk about human rights and human suffering, I think it's important to have those conversations, but putting them next to each other and an attempt to try to invoke some kind of reaction from people is where you meet your troubles, I believe. I think that you made a very good point. However, if you want to look at feminism, and I'll throw this to EA, okay, factory farming would not exist if animals only reproduce when they were making love or naturally. The entire basis for factory farming is forcible impregnation. And it exploits both genders because the males are masturbated and the females are forcibly impregnated. That is such an obvious comparison to the violation of the sacred feminine. And yet, if you try to make that point as, as females, why should we co-sign something that involves sexual violation and that that is contrary to what the feminist ideology is in its philosophical essence <sighs> you, you again. I, I, I hear where you're going. So basically, I think that there's this um, battle in the vegan movement for terminology. And I think that we have to understand that us as animal rights activists, we speak a language called animal rights activism, and then everybody else speaks a different language. So we're bilingual, where everyone else is monolingual. So we can't use words to to invoke the emotions in people such as, you know, rape and slavery and the Holocaust and things like that, because people don't speak that language. They don't come from the perspective of knowing both sides. So when you said forced impregnation, people can understand that. And when you talk about in the feminine movement, talk about consent, people can understand that. But when you bring in the word rape, people automatically disengage because the imprint in their mind is of human beings. So they're not bilingual to understand that what's happening to animals is very similar to what's happening to humans because that word is holding them back from what they've seen on television, the newspaper, what they've personally experienced, the imprint on their mind is just humans. But when you take the actual like um, descriptive factor, force impregnation, people can relate and identify with that. When you talk about consent, that doesn't mean any type of species. Consent is a, a concept that's overarching. So I think that as animal rights activists and us being bilingual, we have to use terminology that translates to people who are monolingual. Wow. In summary, in summary we have thousands okay. of other words, Jane, that we can use, that we can replace that's not triggering from uh, certain communities and humans that went through a lot of suffering. It is very triggering. So very, yeah, you did a really good job explaining that. I have to, I have to follow up and say, wow, yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> you know, and that, this is the thing, because it's, it's about strategy, right? Yes, of course, we, we know intrinsically as vegans that these words like rape and murder and Holocaust, we know inside that these animals are experiencing these things, but we have to speak in the language of the masses for them to be able to connect with what we're trying to say. Otherwise, we lose people. Obviously, I'd love to stand on street corners screaming meat is murder because I intrinsically believe that when an animal, a non-human person has their life taken from them, that is a life lost of an individual. And if that has been taken through brute force or violence, then why is that not murder? But I can't use that language in, in the general public yet, maybe, because 99% of the planet still consumes animals and considers it normal, needed and necessary. And so that language isn't 
it, it's not, as EA said, it's not compatible. It's not got the imprint in a person's mind yet. And we've got to plant the seeds first, allow the blossom of veganism to come, you know, the vegan vegan sort of vine to, to blossom within a person's mind. And then those words start to make sense. Now, I want to discuss, I like discussing controversial subjects. So we're going from one controversial subject to another, but you guys are tackling these subjects. So, um, there's been a lot of criticism of the vegan movement as being sort of an elitist white movement. Uh, you've got to live in a cool area of uh, Brooklyn or Venice, California. Don't get mad at me. I do live pretty much in Venice, California. But um, the truth is now um, African-Americans are the fastest growing segment of the vegan movement in the United States. The uh, entire uh, image of veganism is evolving and blossoming. Some of the biggest activists are uh, Tabitha Brown, okay, is the viral uh, sensation and uh, to a large degree, the face of veganism for a lot of folks. Um, how do we reconcile those two disparate images? And that's great. It's nice that we're blending them, but, but where do we stand on that, Dom? Uh, it's a beautiful thing, but honestly, Jane, this has been going on a long time. There's been a lot of uh, people of color and black vegans in the movement. We just haven't received the platform or the recognition or the attention. Um, credit to what happened last year with the Black Lives Matter movement. That has really caused a lot of people to start paying a little bit more closer attention to what 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 happens in marginalized community, what happens to uh, a black male in America. What happens to a black woman in America? Uh, so we had had a lot of Tabitha Browns in the world, a lot of Doms, Thompsons in the world, a lot of EAs in the world, but we just never received the platform or have the voice, similar to like animals not having a voice. But now we're starting to receive the opportunity to speak our lies and speak our truths. Um, so look, Tabitha is amazing but so is a lot of other black vegans that's been doing a lot of amazing things that just have yet to receive that recognition and that platform and that influence. Um, so yeah, it's happening and we're going to continue to see more stories um, break through in this year and the years to come. And EA, as we have four minutes to close, where do you see this going? Because I've often said, talking to Gwenna Hunter, vegans of black lives matter. If, the African-American community, for example, were to say, boycott fast food, it would collapse the meat and dairy industry. Just like that. Um, very powerful, very powerful. And sometimes protests are powerful, but also using the power of the purse is powerful. Your thoughts on that, how to activate that to save the planet, in fact. I would say that it's not as easy as a boycott. I mean, it makes logical sense what you said, but you know, the way that this planet is structured is on capitalism and on oppression of minorities to keep the capitalistic structure going. So it, there's a reason why black people and marginalized communities, because marginalized communities are not just black, there's low income white people in marginalized communities as well. They can't just pull out of fast food. And the reason they can't do that is because they've been intentionally put in those communities to like keep them buying because they'll make those things available, first of all. So there's that accessibility issue. They're called food swamps because all these fast food restaurants 
purposefully moved into those communities to take advantage of a captive audience. So what we need to do is we need to advocate at the policy level. We need to dismantle systems and structures and then people can remove their purchasing power. It's not purchasing power first. It's dismantle the structures of oppression first, give people food justice and food options. And people are compassionate. They will make the right decisions if given a choice. As of today, they don't have a choice. So we can't just go into these communities and be like, today, pull out. All of you, you know, marginalized people, pull out of these industries and you'll collapse. They don't have all the options. They have grocery stores that have, you know, what's called a hold basically on these on these certain types of communities to where they can't move in um, to a certain neighborhood for like 20 years. They're like blocked out and you can go to Food Empowerment Project and it'll tell you about this um, destructive type of like land ownership policy where certain uh, grocery stores with fruits, vegetables, all the things that people need to eat and access are limited from going into these communities. So let's vegans, let's us talk about food justice Let's us bring food into these communities, then tell people to shift their purchasing power. It can't go the other way around. Uh, that's very interesting. And there's a whole movement, as we have one last minute, Robbie, of giving food to people during this pandemic. I've seen it in many, many different manifestations. It's almost like when everybody has a good idea, they all get it at once. So you have Dr. Silas Rao of Climate Healers activating temples uh, to give people vegan food. You have uh, community fridges in New York and spreading across the country and hopefully the world where people set up vegan refrigerators filled with food that anybody can take, et cetera. Um, where do you see, where are we? Robbie, you, you are at the forefront as a co-founder of Plant-Based News. Uh, at, we have less than a minute. Are we hitting the tipping point? I hope so. I just realized I'm on mute. <laughs> That's a good one to end with. I, I do think there is hope. There's always hope. As long as there are people fighting for change, there is always going to be hope. I'm not sure how much time we have left, obviously, in this episode and on this planet, but I do believe there is hope because there's a lot of people pushing to see a, a better tomorrow, a greener, cleaner, kinder world. So I will remain hopeful as long as there are other people uh, like me and EA and Dom and Al and you, Jane. Uh, there's always hope. Well, you guys are my heroes. You give me hope. You are fierce. And I love Vow. And I hope everybody joins in and has some fun with it because it's great. It's a global community. And that's what we need to do is to connect the dots. So thank you. Uh, check it out. Join. And also check out these guys on Clubhouse uh, Saturday, right? Every Saturday morning, yes. All right. Yes. I'll see you there. Talk to you soon. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week. 